You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Glad you're here today. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. So turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Verses 10 through 20. And we're talking about protection and battle preparation. Protection and battle preparation. I'm sure before you have heard... People have talked about this passage often, putting on the full armor of God. Some people even go into the degree of, like, I'm, I need to, like, sit down and actually verbally put on the armor of God. You don't need to do that. That's not what it necessarily means. It's like, oh, i got to put these on before I leave the house. No, listen, we're, we're, that, there's not, like, a physical armor for you to put on. We're talking about spiritual principles here that we want you to get a hold of. But how many know it's really important that as we go through periods of struggle and conflict and tribulation, that we are absolutely prepared for what's ahead? We need to be aware of them, these things. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. We also need to be prepared to uh, encounter and experience difficulty along the way and what we're to do to combat against that. So we can't sit idly by or passively by when we are... Uh, you know, dealing with these sorts of things, uh, there's a tendency where we kind of feel like, poor me, or I feel bad for myself. Isn't it awful what I'm going through? And uh, that's not the posture we need to take when we're going through stuff. I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you want to sit on the sidelines defeated, that's a good way to start. But if you want to just rise up and to be able to uh, encounter the Lord's hand at work in your life, one of the best things you can do is just get up from where you are and get ready for battle. Prepare yourself for conflict with, with the uh, forces that you're dealing with in this world. So let's take a look at it together. If you just turn to Ephesians chapter 6, if you have it in your Bibles, great. If you don't have it, it's on the screen behind me. And so Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let's pause there and pray and ask God for understanding. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Help us by your Holy Spirit to understand and comprehend it, and help me to uh, speak it clearly and adequately. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want you to notice here... As we talk about spiritual warfare, I think the Lord wants us to better understand how to handle the battles we go through. Many people and many times try to use natural means to resolve spiritual conflict, often encountering very little success, if any. I believe it's because it's easier for us to put our hope in tangible things than spiritual things. It's easier for us to trust in the things that we can see rather than the things that we can't see. It's easier for us to trust the money that's in our bank account or the resolution that we have with somebody else or the weapons in our possession or politics or whatever else we have at our disposal. It's easier to trust in those things than it is to trust in spiritual things because we can't see spiritual things. But God wants us to put our hope in the things that he has given us to fight this battle with. So we can't use physical things to fight spiritual battles. We can't use our weak and anemic sort of things at our disposal to fight battles that are taking place in the spiritual realm. 
uh, I'm just going to use a Zelda reference in my sermon because my daughter's a big fan of the Legend of Zelda games. But in the very first game, the 32-bit version of that, you would go in and they would give you a sword and they say, it's dangerous to go alone, take this with you, and they would give you a wooden sword. But the wooden sword is not something that you could use to fight the final boss with. You needed a special enchanted magical sword as opposed to a wooden sword. I feel like our spiritual battles are oftentimes us trying to use a wooden sword in the spiritual realm against things that are way beyond our capability and our ability to fight. We're still trying to fight with the things at our disposal. We still think the conflict that we have with people is just a conflict with people. Not recognizing there's a spiritual dynamic behind everything that we're dealing with that we have to be aware of. Spiritual conflict requires spiritual weapons. But sometimes people misunderstand what those are. So we're going to talk about those this morning. The battles we fight are spiritual and not natural. So why do you fight your battle with natural and carnal means? If you have conflict in the workplace, we said if they're going to speak ill against me, I'm going to speak ill against them. If someone does something to me, I'm going to do something to them. We say eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We resort to violence. We resort to cursing instead of blessing. When the scriptures say when others curse, we what? Oh, not many of you know it, so this is good. When others curse, we bless. That's what the scriptures say. But instead, when others curse, we what? Curse. We're using carnal and natural means to fight spiritual battles. Sometimes people resort to violence, getting ready to physically fight somebody when they're offended. Or we put our hopes in the things of man, whether it be wealth or the stock market. We put our, our hope in politics and the things of man to be able to fight the battles that we're worried about. Or by these things that we're putting our faith in that the world puts their faith in. These means will not win the victory when it comes to spiritual battles. Principalities, powers, and the rulers of this dark age. It's an important spiritual principle to remember that our fights and our struggles have a spiritual component to them. There is something or someone behind that. Remember, you're not fighting people. You are fighting whatever is moving and motivating that person behind the scenes. We sometimes think we're just fighting with people. We're fighting with difficulties. We're fighting with the billing company. We're fighting with our family. And recognize that not every, there's not a spirit behind every single thing, but when things start to line up in a weird way, you need to take notice of it. When you, this, you're all of a sudden talking with someone and their demeanor changes and they become very conflicting and very uh, you know, confrontational and aggressive, there's something spiritual behind that. Something about who you are and what you represent is agitating what's unresolved in their life. It's agitating. And there are times where the devil can use uh, people within the church, within your circle. They don't possess, but they can oppress and motivate people to do the wrong thing and to bring about conflict, division, discord, arguments, conflict. We don't need those sort of things in the church, but the enemy loves to use it. When Paul is writing this, he is under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier who guards him in shifts. 
Paul understood that he's not fighting flesh and blood, but spiritual forces that control the world that he lives in. A world that is threatened by the God he serves, the gospel he preaches, and the miracles he performs. I want to say that again. Paul realizes that the world he lives in is threatened by the God he serves, the gospel he preaches, and the miracles he performs. He understands that he can't fight this fight with worldly means. Listen, Paul was a Roman citizen. He didn't write his local senator and says, I feel like my rights are being oppressed. Will you go to the Senate for me and intercede on my behalf? And my hope is somehow in that. He didn't do that. He recognized that the power that he had at work within him, God's power to bring about the kingdom work in the world, was a threat to everything that was working in the world already. The scriptures tell us that the devil is the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world. He is controlling and motivating and moving things in the world that we live in today. You're up against spiritual forces that are working behind the scenes to frustrate you. But you can't bring the weapons of this world into that fight. Your intellect, your brute strength, your weapons, man-made politics, personal manipulation, they won't have any effect on these forces that are at work. You are fighting a spiritual battle, a battle for your faith, a battle for your soul, and for everything else that you consider important. So you have to fight with spiritual means. God's battle plan, you'll find is often very different than the world's. We just learned about Joshua this past week in our Bible study. And Joshua's a military general. And God appears to him as a soldier and gives him a strategy for winning the battle at Jericho. You know what his great strategy was? March around the city once a day in silence for six days. He's like, then attack? No. Then go to the city on the seventh day And march around the city seven times. And then at the end, shout and blow the trumpets and the walls will fall down. How about you? That sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds foolish. When you think about how ridiculous that sounds, but that's God's battle strategy in the situation. When God called the judge Gideon, Gideon had thousands of men at his disposal. He called for men to fight the battle against the Midianites. And God said, you got too many men. You've got thousands of people. You need to send some of them home. So bring them together and say, anyone who's scared can go home. Well, guess what? Thousands of people went home. All right? And then he said, okay, well, God said, you still have too many men. And so he says, bring them down to the riverside. And depending on how they drink from that river, I want you to, to narrow it down to the people that's going to be part of your group. You know how many God narrowed it down to? 300. You know what he gave them as weapons to go fight the Midianites at nighttime? He says, I want you to take jars and torches and trumpets. Jars, torches, and trumpets. I don't know about you, but if the Lord said to me, hey, I'm going to send you to the front lines. Uh, Here's a jar. Here's a torch. Here's a trumpet. I don't know about you. I would say no. The story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat and the armies of Judah and the kingdom of Judah were uh, up against three different armies that were coming to wipe them out. And the Lord said to him, you know who to send out first? Not the footmen, not the soldiers, not the archers, not the chariots. Go send out the worship team first. Go send out the priests first with the ark and people singing. And I don't know about you, but like probably if you were on the worship team and you're like, 
Where are we going? We're going where? You're going on the front line. Why? Because God said, praise first, worship him first. Hallelujah, worship him first, and the victory will follow. Worship him first, and you'll see your enemies fall. Worship him first, and the battle will be done by the time you arrive there, and all you'll need to do is strip the plunder. <laughs> Hallelujah, that's a good understanding right there, that we would get a hold of the fact that God's strategy is not the same as our strategy. So I would challenge you today when you're going into your battle, you're going into your struggle, whatever you're up against today, and many of you are up against terrible things, deaths in the family, sickness in your home, uh, chronic conditions that keep coming up again, uh, financial challenges that are on your way. Can I challenge you today to stop trying to figure it out in your own intellect? Stop trying to resolve it in your own strength. Stop trying to manipulate people to get what you want. Can I challenge you today to trust the Lord and trust his strategy? And his strategy is not often our strategy. In fact, more often than not, it isn't. In fact, it will leave you looking very vulnerable and feeling very sheepish and weak. You know what's, why that's a good thing? Because now you're not basing your, your confidence on your strength. Do you know why God does that? Because he wants it to be so ridiculous that only he could get the glory. He wants it to be so outrageous so that he's the only one that can be praised in it. So that you can't take the credit for the victory. You can't say, you know, I came up with that whole idea of torches, vases, and trumpets. That was me, all me, because I came up with that idea. You would say, baloney, that was not you. That's, that, no one would have thought of that. I want you to know today that God's strategy for you is going to be so ridiculous at times that part of the challenge is that you won't believe it. But if you believed it, if you were obedient to it, you would see God do amazing things that you had to say, that had to be God because no way, no how could have worked out any other way. Challenge the way that you think about things. Challenge the way you perceive things. Stop thinking of things in your intellect and your worldly carnal mindset. Start thinking of things in a spiritual sense. Verses 10, 11, and 13. Let's take a look there. It says, finally, brethren, be strong in who? Be strong in who? Be strong in the Lord and the power of whose might? His might. All right? Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to, what? Withstand. What does withstand mean? That withstand means... The battle's coming to you. Withstand means you're not going to break through the line. Withstand means I'm defending this area and I'm not going to be moved, okay? In the evil day. And after having done all to stand, we need to be strong in the Lord and his power and his might. What are we to do when an attack come? Withstand them. And once you've done everything else, stand. Not run headlong into battle, but to be ready to stand up the attacks coming your way. The, the posture is a defensive posture. When we stand in our faith, God is the one that fights the battles. This fits with the idea of Scripture that the battle belongs to who? The battle belongs to the Lord. 
So if the battle belongs to the Lord, we see time and time again in Scripture where it's very little has to be done by the people in terms of actual conflict, actual battle, actual fighting, actual intellect. We see that everything hangs on the idea that people are just being obedient to the Lord and to His ways and doing it His way. And once we do that, we see God fight the battle and win the victory. Moses said to his people at the edge of the Red Sea, Stand and see the deliverance of your God. The psalmist wrote, Be still and know that I am God. So if you are trying to fight the battle in your own strength, you will not win. You'll grow weary in it. And many of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in a battle most of your life, and you're weary from it. You are done fighting it. But if you're trying to fight it in your own strength, you will get tired because your enemy does not tire. He's not physical. He's not in the world that we live in. He is spiritual, so he's not going to tire out until you give up. But if you are strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, you will not wear out, you will not grow weary, you will not quit. Instead, you'll have his strength to rest in. Put your hope in God's strength and he will get you through this because God doesn't get tired or weary. But just because we're fighting on defense doesn't mean we don't prepare for battle. Soldiers who are on standby, who are ready to be called into action, are fully dressed and ready for battle, even if the battle doesn't come. That's what we must do every day, being ready for battle. Paul uses the soldiers that guard him every day for inspiration. The armor of God is not the knights of the round table armor of the Middle Ages. Paul's inspiration was the Roman soldiers with their helmets, tunics, sandals, and swords. But I want you to notice something about this passage. Not all the pieces of the armor are uh, offensive pieces, but they're defensive pieces. Notice that every piece is for your protection. They guard your heart and your life and your steps. Let's take a look at them. Verses 13 through 17. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, of which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's go through it together, shall we? First and foremost, number one, the belt of truth. Everything starts with truth. The belt held the tunic together. It also held up the sword. Truth is what you need to overcome the lies of the enemy. Truth is what you need to maintain your integrity. So if you can't get truth and integrity in your heart and your soul, you're already lost. If the enemy can corrupt your soul and get you to, to compromise your values, you are already sunk. But if you hold fast to truth, if you keep your belt buckled with truth, the truth of what God's word says, the truth of how God perceives you, the truth about the situation, not what you perceive the situation to be like. If you keep that central, you'll be able to hold up. Truth always wins out over falsehood. The breastplate of righteousness. This guards your heart. Righteousness. Right living is what righteousness means. 
Now, we must understand that Christ imparts righteousness to us upon salvation, but not just that we're made clean in God's sight. Now we have to change the way that we live so that we can be more like Christ. If we are Christians, we are Christ followers. So we need to live like a Christian. How many know that doesn't happen overnight usually? That's a process called regeneration in which God is changing us to become more like his son. And so as we do that, right living protects the chest and guards the heart. If you are walking upright before the Lord, your heart will be kept pure and protected. The shoes of peace or the sandals of peace. I wish more Christians would learn this. Wherever you walk, bring peace. Be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker or a peace taker. The word you bring is the gospel. The gospel is spread by those who love God and bring peace. If you are a person of discord, if you are a difficult person, it's going to be very difficult for someone to receive the gospel from you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring what? The good news. So those who walk with the Lord must walk in peace. So that where you go, peace follows. Even if everything else around you in this world is upside down and it's full of chaos. There are people of God that walk into situations and they bring calm and comfort and they, be, they bring peace to the situation. They're able to settle a room down just by their presence. Why? Because they walk in peace. We've got to protect ourselves with these vital pieces of armor for us. The shield of faith protects you from the fiery attacks of the enemy. You must hold it up to extinguish the fiery arrows of the devil's attack. When you are being attacked, don't let your faith hang down low. When you're being attacked, don't set your shield aside, but raise up everything that you've been taught. Raise up everything that you believe and use it to deflect and to go against that which is being thrown your way. Because the enemy wants you to lower your guard. He wants you to, to drop your faith. He wants you to abandon your faith. But instead of letting it hang down low, pull that thing up and stand behind your faith. It served you well to this point. It will continue to serve you well as you walk with him. The helmet of salvation. This guards our thoughts. When you're saved, you think differently. You no longer think as the world does because we have the mind of Christ now. Do you understand that? We have the mind of Christ now. We didn't have that before. When you were saved, you thought about things from a worldly and carnal viewpoint, but now you see God's plan. Now you see things the way God sees them. You see your purpose in his plan, and you follow and pursue after him. Instead, let your mind be saturated with the Word of God. Let your mind be covered by the Spirit of God and keep the mind of Christ in every situation. These are the things that protect you. These are the things that cover you. The Scriptures tell us that God has given us everything in His Word that we need for life and godliness. So you have what you need to protect your mind, Protect your heart and guide your steps. If the devil's going to take you out, he's going to do it 
by getting to your integrity. He will do all he can to ruin your marriage, ruin your family, ruin your friendships, and ruin your testimony. So put on the full armor of God. Let, instead of the exercise, like, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I got to do this. Instead of looking at it that way, instead of trying to pray through those things as though you're physically putting them on, can I challenge you with this idea? Put on the mind of Christ. Put on right living. Put on truth. Put on peace. Put on the Word of God. And put on the Spirit of God through prayer. Put it on. Before you leave the house, you say, you know what? I'm going to put on the peace of God. I'm going to put on the mind of Christ. I'm going to some bad situations that I need God's peace. I'm going to put on peace before I leave here. I'm going to put on peace, and I'm wearing it, and I'm bringing it where I'm going. Wherever I go might be chaotic, but when I arrive there, I'm walking with and in God's peace. Do you follow that? You're wearing it, so you're walking in it. If you're wearing it, you're walking in it. If you're wearing it, you're walking in righteousness. If you're wearing it, you're walking in your salvation. If you're wearing it, you're walking in faith. Do we understand what I'm talking about today? Instead of saying, well, i got to put this on and put that on, put on the things that they represent so that when you leave the house, it doesn't matter what comes your way, I'm prepared for that. The temptation that comes my way, I'm prepared for that because I'm going to keep my heart right. The conflict that comes my way, I'm prepared for that because I'm going to maintain peace as much as possible. When the conflict and difficulties come my way, when every attack of the enemy comes my way and he wants me to give up, I'm going to put up my shield of faith and I'm going to extinguish and deflect every dart that's thrown my way. You can use these things to protect yourselves. Now, it's interesting that of the armor of God, there's only two offensive weapons, the Word and prayer. Remember, the Word of God is your weapon against the lies of the enemy. When Jesus was tempted and tested in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, the devil came to him with every possible temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The devil offered things that Jesus would have wanted. He would have wanted to be worshipped. He would have wanted the kingdoms of this world. He, he, he knew those things, and he knew that those things were going to come to him someday. But he had to wait, so the enemy's like, you don't need to wait, just indulge. Just give in. And so each temptation, three times the devil tempted him. And what did Jesus respond to, to that temptation with? He said, it is written. It is written. And he quoted scripture back to the enemy. Even when Satan misquoted the scriptures in his temptation towards Jesus, Jesus corrected him with the word of God. There's no better tool at your disposal to work against what the enemy's throwing at you than to be a person of the word so that you are able to speak the word in season. If you don't know the word, if you don't spend time in the word, if you abandon the word, you are going into the battle without a weapon. Your first weapon is the word. The second weapon is prayer. Take a look at verses 17 through 20 with me. Are you still with me? I know it's Columbus Day weekend. I know it's a three-day weekend for some of you, but come on, wake up. Stay with me, church. Let's take a look at uh, verses 18 through 20. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, 
and being watchful to the end with all perseverance and the supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel of which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. He tells him to pray in the Spirit, make all supplications in the Spirit, with perseverance in the Spirit. What does that mean? People have often debated what does it mean to pray in the Spirit. Some have said that to pray in the Spirit means to pray in line with what the Holy Spirit would want us to pray, to pray the Word and will of God, and that's true. But there's another meaning to praying in the Spirit, speaking in tongues. This was a gift given by God to the early church. This is a gift that is given and empowered them to witness for the gospel. It's a gift that many Christians either do not have or if they do have it, neglect it. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 that he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, and no one understands him. However, in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, he mentions that prophecy is greater than tongues in public worship. But he also concludes the chapter by saying, earnestly seek prophecy, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. And look what it says here. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks to God, and he edifies himself. The word edify means to build up and to strengthen. When you pray in the Spirit, you are building yourself up so that you are able to fight against the attacks of the enemy. Christians aren't doing that today. They, de- they don't know what it means to speak in tongues. They don't know about the baptism of the Spirit. They haven't pursued it, or in some ways they're uncomfortable with it. But it is a tool that's given to us by God to fight against spiritual wickedness, to fight against the attacks of the enemy. So we must be ready for it. Brothers and sisters, if you don't have it yet, can I just tell you that God is so wonderfully gracious that he wants to bestow this gift upon you, that if you ask him for it, he will give it to you. It doesn't have to be in a service, but that's great too. If you want people to lay hands on you and pray for you to receive it, so be it. But you can be at home and say, God, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God in his graciousness and love gives it to you as another tool in your toolbox. You have the Word of God. You have integrity. You have the armor of God. You have prayer. But pray in the Spirit because our battle is in the Spirit. For in it you build yourself up. Jude 1.20 says this. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Spiritual warfare requires spiritual strategies. We pray in the natural. That's good. But let's also endeavor to pray in the spiritual. Not just how we pray, but who we pray for. Notice he said to pray for all the saints. Not pray to the saints, pray for all the saints. You know who the saints are? You and me. We're redeemed by Christ. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We stand in righteousness today. We are there to pray for one another. We're to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Can I tell you today, if you're concerned about...
about what's going on in Washington, pray. If you're concerned about the war in Ukraine, pray. If you're concerned about the state of our society, pray. If you're concerned about the economy, pray. But can I challenge you about the nature of your prayers? If you're just praying for an easy life, that's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. Instead, he's saying, pray for me that I might speak it boldly. Pray for all the saints who are going through perseverance. It's, prayer is not given to us to make our life easy. Prayer is given to us to communicate to God and that we might carry out the kingdom work in the dark age that we live in today. And there are times you may not know what to pray, but Romans 8, 25, and 26 tells us the Spirit helps us pray with groanings and utterances that cannot be measured. We are to pray in the Spirit when we don't know what to pray. God has given us that tool, and it's effective and powerful for our prayers. Remember that prayer brings down strongholds. Prayer activates the work of the kingdom of God. Remember, it's to change the world that we live in, not to make it easier for us. It's not to prepare the way for Dan Valeri. Prepare ye the way for me. It's to prepare the way of the Lord, to lay uh, and to smooth out the road so that when the Lord comes, there are people that will encounter him without hindrance or difficulty. We are to pray and to, to be faithful and to be battling these things so that when the time comes when the Lord returns, he returns and he is able to meet and minister and that people will be brought to his side. God wants us to pray for the world we live in. We're to pray so that people can be saved, delivered, and healed by the power of God. When Ephesians 6, 17 says, pray for your fellow saints, that God may be with them. The Apostle Paul even says, pray for me too, that I might speak it boldly and proclaim it as I should. Paul's under house arrest. Paul's in difficulty. He doesn't stop reading. He doesn't stop writing. He doesn't stop praying, and he doesn't stop preaching. Nothing could stop him. No difficulty could stop him, even to his dying day. So he says, pray for the saints. Pray for me. Here's a question for us to consider today. I wonder how much of our prayers focus on ourselves compared to praying for others. I want us to think about that for a minute. How much of your prayer life focuses on you? And how much of your prayer life focuses on others? If I had to guess, myself included, that we pray for ourselves more than we pray for one another. We pray for ourselves more than we pray for the church, our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because human nature says, I'm worried about me. But we're challenged to use this tool, this offensive weapon, to pray and to intervene and intercede on the behalf of others. We can pray for ourselves. Yes, it's okay to do that. But make sure, too, that we're praying for one another. When one prays alone, it can feel like a very lonely place. When you pray by yourself, going through the valley that you're going through, it can feel like you're all alone on an island. When you're going through grief, 
when you're going through struggle, when you're going through trial, it can feel like you're the only one out there. But when we pray for one another, I want you to visualize this in your head. Remember, we're talking about the whole armor of God, right? People that are shod with all of the pieces of God's armor and with a sword drawn, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and with prayer. When we do that, imagine, if you will, every time you stand by someone's side, that you are like soldiers lining up next to each other, ready to not just respond to the Lord's call when he calls us to battle, but also to defend. When you pray with a brother or sister in Christ, when you pray with a fellow Christian, when you pray with someone, a friend of yours that's going through difficulty who's a believer, what you're doing is you're coming next to them fully armored, and they're fully armored. And it's not just you trying to fight off the, the, the very host of hell that's come against you. It's you and someone else that are taking a stand. Remember, he didn't say, you know, when you've done everything, rush headlong into battle streaming. He said, once you've done everything, to stand. Withstand against the enemy's schemes. Stand up to the enemy's attacks and do so together. And if you could visualize, if you will, in this room, that each time that you sit alongside somebody or each time you're in a circle praying with one another, that you are fully armored and ready and you say, on this hill, we will defend. On this line, we will defend. And no enemy will be able to cross us. On this stronghold, it's going to fall because we've stood together believing God for good things. Do you believe that today? Then let's pray towards that end. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm wondering today, are you going through something right now? Are you in the middle of battle? Are you in the middle of a fight? Sometimes you might feel like that you're just getting through life barely getting by. And you feel like you've been through battles and you have the scars to show for it and you have things that you've been through and you've seen some things. And you say, well, I don't want to fight anymore. I feel like I'm fighting by myself. I want you to know you're not fighting alone and you're not fighting in your skills and you're not fighting with your own tools anymore. Remember the battle belongs to the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and that we have at our disposal the word of God in prayer as our tools. We have the spirit of God to help us pray. This, this morning, if you're going through something, you say, you know what, I just need prayer today. Just raise a hand and say, you know, Pastor, pray for me. I'm going through some things right now, and I need God's help. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.